a break from Acts this morning and, and just spend a little more time reflecting on the goodness of God uh, and, and in that way. So as you turn there, Psalm chapter 9, uh, I wanted to read this. I came across this, this thought uh, that kind of fits into what we're going to talk about today. But somebody by the name of Dr. Joshua Brown, who is a professor of psychological and brain sciences at Indiana University, and his colleague, Dr. Joel Wong, an associate professor of counseling psychology. So again, just that mental aspect of uh, the things that we think about, the things that we go through, and, and a lot of you just kind of expressed the last few years of the ups and the downs, and, and I know we've, you know, as a church have dealt with uh, health issues, we've dealt with uh, just emotional issues, and we've dealt with the worldwide pandemic issues, and, and Curtis mentioned the political issues, and cultural issues, and, and other things that have happened that really weighs on us and, and gets to our, our, our mindset. And so, coming back to that, these two professors were basically collaborating on one thing. And they said, how can we help clients derive the greatest possible benefit from treatment in the shortest amount of time? So they're looking, how can we get people to get the greatest amount of benefit and healing in the shortest amount of time? And so these are doctors, these are professors, these are, are scientists. And so here's the conclusion that they came to is that some patients could supplement traditional therapy sessions with gratitude exercises. Interesting, right? So therapy and, 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 and going to the doctor and, and whatever else, when it comes to the mind, the mental, emotional, psychological mindset that a lot of us have based on what we experience can be supplemented with gratitude exercises. You know, over the last decade, several studies have found that those who routinely count their blessings are overall happier and experience less depression. Just simply from thinking about what you're grateful for. And I know we tend to exercise that a lot uh, the third week of November or fourth week of November. I don't even have it right. I don't even know. Whenever Thanksgiving is, you know, we typically sit around the table and what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? And, and, you know, culturally, you know, we make sure we do that. It almost seems like necessary. But what about Tuesday night on a random week? Do you sit and reflect on your blessings? You, you, you find yourself getting a sense of gratitude because of who God is and, and what he's done for you and what he's allowed you to go through to bring you to, back to a perspective of who he is and his goodness and his faithfulness. You know, somebody once said, gratitude, if not the highest, is the purest form of love. Gratitude is the purest form of love. For when you are full of gratitude, there is no room for anything else. When you're full of gratitude, there's no room for anything else. And so when we think about the psychological effects of thinking through your blessings, thinking through how God has provided for you, ultimately what he's done for you, that he loves you, he knows you, sent his son to die for you. That is the thing to think about. But what about the provision that you wake up and you have breath in your lungs, that you you woke up, that you have a job or that you have a car to get into. It may not be the prettiest or the fastest or uh, it may uh, clunk and creak and crack and work its way, but hey, you get from A to B. 
or that you have a job, that you have children, that you have uh, a roof over your head, that you have food on the table here and there, that you have provision and come back to that thankfulness of, of who God is and what he's been able to do for you. So the more we fill ourselves with that gratitude and thankfulness, the less room there is for the woe is me's, the focusing in on the negative, the whatever else, you know, and, and be full of true joy. We've talked about joy a lot here, that despite the circumstances and despite what may come, we can have joy through it all. And, and sometimes that's a good thought, Cam, but man, it's, I really don't feel joyful in the moment. I'd like to feel a little more happy expressive, happy, and joyful more often. And the point is, what we're getting at is that you can. If we continue to focus our gratitude to God. So when we look at Psalm 9 today, that's what we're going to take a look at. And so I want to read the first couple of verses, and then we're going to kind of jump into this, because I think some, some important things have come out in this psalm that I think is, is good for us to, to grab onto. Let's read verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 9. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. There's a lot of key words in those two verses. Such as recounting your wonderful deeds, being glad, exulting or praising, lifting up your name, singing praise, giving thanks. There's a lot of great things in there, but there's actually something I, I want to focus in on for a moment. That phrase, with my whole heart. To praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. And I know sometimes we can easily say that, but what does that really mean? And I'm not talking about a dictionary definition, but when you look at the biblical definition of the word whole you think that'd be easy to define right what does whole mean complete or all right but when you look at that word in scripture it does mean complete but you can also render it consistent you're complete but you're also consistent you're unwavering in fact an interesting definition is you're avoiding stiffness because when you have a stiff heart, a hard heart, oftentimes as we read in scripture, you are blocking the blessings that God wants to give you because you're so focused on the immediate circumstance before you. You following me? So you're so rigid because I've got to deal with this. This is bothering me. I don't want to hear from anybody else, say anything else until this thing is fixed. And you get so stiff and rigid and hard-hearted to the acceptance of what God wants to give you. And so praising God and giving thanks to God and being grateful to God with a whole heart means I am open and humble to receive what he wants to give me. You can also render it wherever and whenever. So you're hearing the, the verbiage of your whole heart, that you're complete, consistent, unwavering, avoiding stiffness wherever and whenever to give thanks to the Lord with your whole heart. Charles Spurgeon said, Gratitude for one mercy refreshes the memory as to thousands of others. He said, One silver link in the chain draws up a long series of tender remembrances. Here is eternal work for us. 
for there can be no end to the showing forth of all his deeds of love. What is he saying? If you right now, if I were to ask you, I want you to think to your most favorite memory of Christmas. Yep, I'm bringing us into the holiday season. We just walked through that door. You are welcome. But I want you to think about your most favorite Christmas story, event, a meal. It doesn't have to be a major thing. Just when you think Christmas, what is it that comes to mind? Now, if you were to reflect on that, and I let you have more time with that, would that stir other memories? You can think about one, but you might all of a sudden start thinking about, oh, I remember that one too, or that time with that family, or we went here for, for, you know, for this Christmas, or these people came to our house that Christmas, or whatever else. That's what Spurgeon is saying. Or you think about the same thing with a, you know, a particular anniversary or birthday. You, you tend to reflect on one, you're going to reflect on more. That's the point of what Charles Spurgeon is saying is gratitude for one mercy when we sit and reflect on one thing that God has done for us, it will tend to cause us to think of others as well. And then just let it snowball from there. I'm sorry, that's not a term we're very familiar with or use often in our area. Snowball is a cold liquid that forms uh, very hard, sometimes falls from the sky. And sometimes you can put it together and throw it at somebody. Anyway, sorry for that bad example. Let me ask you a question. What should it take to cause us to be grateful? What should it take to cause us to give thanks, to be glad, to exult, to praise God with a complete, whole, unwavering heart? Something I want you to reflect on today. What should, that, what should it take to be grateful in that sense with a whole heart? Can you be grateful with a half heart? <laughs> sure, that's easy. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. In the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, scribe, individual came up to Jesus and asked him a question. He says, what is the, the great commandment? If I live my life on one thing, what is it? And so, of course, Jesus takes him right back to Scripture. And he says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. See, that's what Jesus is saying. A whole, complete, unwavering heart in every respect. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You know, and always, we always boil it down to four words, right? Love God, love others. But with everything. So we can do the right things. And this is what we talk about. If we can kind of just split our heart in half, in a sense. Because we can do the right things. Religiously speaking. You can come to church. You can take communion. We can sing a few songs. We can open the Bible and act like we're paying attention. You know, we can, we can do all these things to look the part. 
But when we do those things, does that automatically assure that you're going to fall in love with God? No, it doesn't. You know, as a former teacher and, and walking my students through uh, curriculum and content and, and as a history teacher, the names, the dates, the, the why, when, where, how questions on everything, or I'm even listening to my own children as they come home from school and, and every once in a while they'll share a good report on, uh, just recently Kaylee was sharing with us about a, she did so well on a test and, and, and just did great and, and then shared a couple other things that she had just done. And she was very proud of the fact of, of how she was doing in school. And, and we are extremely proud of our children and the, the grades they get and how they're doing and whatever else. But if, I, if they say all that and we, we rejoice together for a good grade, but then I look at Kaylee and I say, but Kaylee, do you love school? She'd probably be like, meh. Because what's the often the answer we get when, when our kids come home from school? Hey, I was school. Eh, it was a day. Or if I look at the adults in this room and I ask you, how was your work week? John would say, yeah, <laughs> another week has gone by. See, you did the things. You accomplished the tasks. You did what you needed to do. But are you in love with what you're doing? You see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So we can, we can play the part. This is what we're saying. A lot of people, and this is what we get caught up in, we can have devotions. We can, we can even study scripture. We can come to church and we can do all those things, but it's not automatically going to cause you to just have that wholehearted love for God, which in turn says, thank you, Father, for everything that I have. So I go back to the question I asked you. What should it take to be all in with a whole heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength for who God is and, and what he has really done for us? Let me give you an example from Scripture on the negative side of things. It's an interesting story. It's a quick story. His name, his name excuse me, is King Amaziah. King Amaziah. You can read his story in 2 Kings 14 and 2 Chronicles 25. It's a very short story. It's kind of the historical record of all the various kings that have served and, and ruled and reigned over Israel and Judah and, and, and throughout its history. But King Amaziah ruled around 796 or so BC. In 2 Chronicles 25 verse 2, it tells us this about King Amaziah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord yet not with a whole heart. How does, that, how does that work? God was pleased with him. He did what was right in the sight of God, but he didn't do it with a whole heart. See, he was doing the right things. He was following the law, the Mosaic law that they had. And, and, and if you read his story in either of those two uh, uh, perspective, Second Kings or Second Chronicles, you'll read his story that he kept the law, he did certain things, he, he ruled and reigned, he went into battle, he was obedient to God, but it wasn't with a whole heart. So what was keep, keeping King Amaziah from going all in, from being sold out? See, he maintained some things, but you ever heard that phrase, being sold out for the Lord? You see, you heard some of those people that, or you look at an individual, you think of an individual, go, man, they are just sold out. They're all in. 
Can you, can you say that about yourself? What is it that you're seeing in them that, that causes that statement? See, for King Amaziah, he wasn't sold out. He wasn't all in. He was just accomplishing the tasks that were given to him. The rest of his story points to pride in the authority that he had as king. His victories in battle. And in one particular story, he took a lot of the idols from the people that he destroyed in battle and brought them back and started to worship those idols. See, there was something inside that he was holding on to. He wasn't all in. He kept his mind and kept a part of his heart on the world, something that he just he thought had a lot of value and probably fell down that slippery slope pretty darn quickly. Because when you're self-focused and when your pride is involved and you say, I want this and I'm going to do that, there's not a whole lot that's going to stop you and get in your way. So even though he was doing the right things according to God's law, he was still holding on to something that was keeping him from, from being all in. You look at it, probably a, a story we're a little more uh, attuned to. The rich young ruler. We heard that story, right? Luke's account says in, in Luke 18, in a ruler, the rich young ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response is, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not lie. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept. You see? I'm doing the right things. I'm obeying God's law. But we know the result. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Go and sell all your possessions and come and follow me. See, he was holding on to something. He couldn't just let go of the material, the rich. I want to be obedient to God, but I'm just going to hold on to this one thing because when all else fails, when friends leave, when things happen, when I don't have a good week at work or school or whatever else, then I've got this thing that I can find comfort in. And it might be money. It might be my car. It might be uh, just whatever. I mean, insert your thing in the blank. You're just not willing to let it go. And when he heard this from Jesus, he became very sad, Luke's account says. But I like what the account says in Matthew in his response. He says he went away sorrowful. See, I just can't release this thing. I want to follow you. I want to be obedient. I want to inherit eternal life. But he went away sorrowful because he just knew he couldn't let this thing go. He couldn't be all in. He couldn't give Jesus his whole heart. G. Campbell Morgan said, imperfection of heart consists in incomplete surrender. I'll see that again. Imperfection of heart consists in incomplete surrender. So if that doesn't make sense, just say it backwards. If you're not willing to give everything to the Lord, then there's going to be trouble here. Something's not going to be right because you're not fully willing to let go. What do we know? It says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Of course not. See, we can say these verses. We can say the things. 
But if we really reflect on what it is saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart, your whole, complete, unwavering heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. If we go to the next chapter, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilant. Vigilance, excuse me. Keep your heart with all vigilance. From it flows springs of life. But with all vigilance, all in with the Lord. So verses 3 through 10 back in Psalm 9 reads, When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them have perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. So what is David doing here? He is reflecting on the goodness of God. The things that God has done for him, that he has witnessed, giving praise to God and, and, and purpose to, to his faith in God. It's his reason to rejoice. It's his reason to be grateful. And he recognizes that God is the one who secured all those victories. Yeah, they may have come some way through seemingly human perspective or human hands or defeat in battle, but whatever else, the, all the praise, all the glory goes to God because if we truly understand that God is sovereign and believe that God rules over all and he uses men as his instruments to fulfill his plan, whether we see that as a, a good outcome or a bad outcome, it doesn't matter that God is sovereign. Therefore, everything that happens is going to come from God. He rules and reigns. So here David is, is giving him that glory. But what I want to focus in on is verses 9 and 10. If you have your Bibles open, read, read this with me. Verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 9 says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. See, it's, it's a great reflection. If you want that heart of gratitude, that heart of praise, that whole heart, those are the things that you need to reflect on, that you need to say, that you need to speak to the Lord. Time and again, because we can get so caught up in the wrong that's going on. See, even David was reflecting on his enemy. I mean, do you, do you hear the verbiage? The enemies, those that stumble and perish, those that have... Uh, uh, rebuke the nation. I mean, the wicked, the, the, the enemies, the, the hurt, the, I mean, just the, the, the negativity and, and how he's viewing other people that have seemingly done him wrong, but yet the praise for God for the results. But the Lord is a stronghold. You know what a stronghold is? It's a refuge. It's a fortress. Now, those were built in, in, in that day, the city walls, and if you go to the medieval times, the, the castles and stuff that still scatter the, the countryside in, in Europe and, and, and other places, these monstrosity of walls and buildings and structures that still stand some thousand years later, 
And yet there is a purpose in why they were so solid. It was for protection. It was for provision. But what did the people need to do if they wanted to be protected by that stronghold? They needed to get inside the walls. They needed to seek that refuge. They needed to cross that moat, that, that gate, and get in the walls and, and feel secure and, and know they were going to be provided for it and know the enemies were not going to be able to get at them. And that's why uh, he would end this uh, uh, verse right here. It says, you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Meaning, we are the ones that have to run to God. We are the ones that have to seek that provision. We are the ones that need to get inside the protection of his walls, his love, his provision, his care. We have to seek the Lord. So you hear David's list, at least in this season of his life. He, he creates a list of things that he can be grateful to the Lord for. So what do you put on your list? In this season, you can make a, a lifelong list, I'm sure. And you can reflect on things that happened 20 years ago or, or just even five years ago. But maybe how about just within this last week, what would be on your list? What could you look at and go, I see now the Lord's hand in what just happened. What happened two days ago? I'm seeing the blessing of, of how good God was to allow that to happen because I'm here and I'm, I'm bringing my vision, my whole heart right back to who he is and what he's done for me. I mean, David has, has a list that spans the entire book of Psalms if you really want to look at it. List after list after list of God's provision and protection in, in certain times of struggle. So when times are tough, do we have the expectation that the protection and provision will just automatically come to us in where we're at because God is God? I mean, we should have an expectation. We should anticipate. But oftentimes our heart, our mind says, okay, God, you're going to come find me. You're going to bless me. I'm just going to carry on with what I'm doing and I'm sure things will turn out well. Expectations are good. But we're the ones that need to seek that provision. Meaning we need to stop our course of action, look to the provision, look to the stronghold, and go get inside. <laughs> Take some time to go sit with the Lord, cry out to the Lord, express to the Lord, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And when you run out of fingers, start using your toes to count as well, that this is happening, this is happening. Because I'm sure there's a long list of grievances and hurt and struggles, but if you don't verbally give those to the Lord, you can say, well, God knows. Okay, don't give yourself that easy out. Well, God knows. And again, no disrespect, but this is why I have a little bit of a problem with unspoken prayer requests. I understand why people do it, but sometimes I hope that maybe it can be unspoken to an individual, but I hope it's not unspoken to the Lord. That we need to verbalize the hurt. We need to verbalize what's going on. Sometimes audibly. That's why you need to get away, find a space, cry out to God. So on that note, I want to remind us there's a very famous portion of the scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11. 
Probably just by saying that reference, you kind of already know what the scripture is. It's one of those that fall in line with John 3.16, right? God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you or provide you good welfare. Not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. We love that. It ends on such a positive note. Yes, Lord. You know my plans. Therefore, you know what's going to happen. I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to carry on with life. But do we read verses 12, 13, and 14? You may know it, but let me remind you. It says, then you will call upon me. Run to the stronghold. And come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart. See, God doesn't want a half-hearted relationship with you. He wants everything. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. See, sometimes God allows the exile. He allows those moments of confusion, of anxiety, of hurt, of pain, whatever it might be, because he wants that relationship with us to say, God, I need you. I need to seek you. I need to run to you. And it's in those moments God says, I hear you. I hear you. Psalm 34, 17 says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Verse 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Those are promises we can hold on to. But he also asks us to cry out, to seek him, to mention those things. And quickly, verses 11 through 20 of Psalm 9 says, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises. That in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they have hid. Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. There's something important there that, I, again, I want, to, I want to draw out. But you're hearing the verbiage of, of David's cry for help. This is a cry, a prayer of need. This is a, a prayer of one who's been afflicted, who's basically surrounded and the enemy is closing in. But you hear the words he's using? Sing praises. Tell among the people his deeds. Gracious Rejoice? Does that sound like one who's in the pit of self-pity, of oppression and depression? It doesn't, but it is. Because David is hurting in this moment. He needs help. But you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I'm going to focus my attention on the God who rules and reigns over all. He's the one that provides salvation. He's the one that saved me from the pit, provided me hope. I'm going to tell others about his goodness. He's not even really making a request in this moment. He's just, this is who my God is. And when all else fails, that's where I'm going to put my trust. See, it's seeing the joy and praise of God's provision for salvation. 
before it even happens. I'm going to say that again. Because oftentimes we live our life in a reactive way. The moment something bad happens, okay, God, I need you now. We got to stop being reactive and be proactive in our praise of God always, consistently, everywhere and anywhere, unwavering, avoiding that stiffness of heart. Because when we just give gratitude for God always, constantly, when we cry out for help, we're crying out from a position of, of praise. Not just, God, I need you to solve my problem now so I feel better. You see the difference? See, he is the one who's provided everything. But notice the sound of confidence in David's heart and his cry for prayer. It's seeing the joy and provision before it even comes. He says, see my affliction that I may recount and rejoice in your salvation. See, and I praise you. I'm going to tell people about you. I need help. But right now, my focus is on you. So when you do provide salvation and protection and provision, I will just praise you all the more. So I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you in it. And I'm going to praise you after it happens. However you see fit. It's an, and this may sound redundant, but it's anticipatory expectation. You anticipate the goodness of God. You anticipate that God has provided us salvation. You anticipate what he already has done and what he said he's going to do. And you expect that. But you do that from a position of praise. So as a church for the last three years, this is what we want to try and get across and who we are. See, the name is not just some random name that sets us apart from everybody else. There, there's purpose in the name. Because God is our stronghold. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our, our fortress. So when you come to church, it's not about just coming to refuge church and, and not one of the other churches. It's you're coming in to seek the presence of God. To seek to be in the presence of God. Learn from God. Hear from God. Praise God. Fall more and more in love with God. And so you can continue to pursue the will of God for your life. Because He is that for you. Whether, again, we're in an elementary school or in a tent or in a grass field or, or in this building, the refuge is the same because the refuge is not the place. The refuge is God. That's who he is. So he's the one that planted this church. He's the one that's provided for us all the way. We thought we were doing good six months into it. Everything was wonderful from our perspective, and then everything fell apart. From our perspective, but the reality is, yeah, God knew. He needed to send something like that to shake us up, to bring us back to a position where spiritually we are before Him, seeking Him, crying out to Him as the only one that could provide. He's the only one that has provided for us financially. He's provided for us by location, He provided for us in ministry opportunities, He's executed justice. In the last three years, hasn't he? Both personally and for those outside. He's used us to provide food and clothing and shelter and service and, and even salvation and, and hope and joy for a lot of people just in, the, in a few years. But not because of us, because of who he is 
But it does take that willing heart that we have to say that's who we want to be to the world around us, to our community, to our city. So let us not forget who he is. Let us constantly praise, consistently praise, consistently exult with that whole heart and pursue that wholeheartedness of what he wants for our life. Psalm 52. Now, now listen to this. You can read along if you want to turn that bit. But I just want you to listen to this, the, the succession of what these verses are saying. Psalm 52, verse 7 says this. See the man who would not make God his refuge, but he trusted in the abundance of his own riches and he sought refuge in his own destruction. See, we're either going to see God for who he is and, and fall into his grace and, and seek his provision and fall in love with him, or the only other option that exists out there is to be so self-focused, to be so selfish and self-driven that I'm going to do everything I can to provide for myself, live for myself, and when things go wrong, take care of it myself because of my pride, my ego, it's my life. So it really does simply come down to a decision you've got to make. You're going to live on your own strength or are you going to fall into the grace of God? That's what this is saying. In succession, therefore, in Psalm 46, 1, it says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. I'm either going to see my own destruction because of my own pride, or I'm going to run to the one who created this world. And to close out, Psalm 71, verses 1 through 3. Should be up on the screen, but listen to these words. Psalm 71, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. That's where we need to be. So if we want to go back to what is said in, in verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In order to pursue that lifestyle of being all in, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then what do you need to do to release the grip off of whatever it is that's keeping you from being all in and having that whole heart? Seek the Lord. He has a plan. There's a hope. There's a future. But continue now to seek the Lord in your circumstance. And then praise Him for it. Praise Him through it. And praise Him for the result. Whatever it might be.